For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. Hi and welcome to The Rock Podcast. The Hebrew Christians of the first century had a stumbling block. If Jesus is our great high priest, why is he not a descendant of Aaron? The answer is found in the mysterious character of Melchizedek, who appears for a few verses only in Genesis. Our writer is going to use Melchizedek to unlock some insights that will help them appreciate the authority and power of Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Ross with a message entitled, In the Order of Melchizedek. As a kid, uh, once in a while, I'd get a hold of a good book that I really enjoyed. And uh, one of those books came in a series, and it was called The Hardy Boys. I don't know. Yeah, the covers were the best, you know. And, and uh, I, I really liked reading them. And, uh, of course, there were a couple brothers, Frank and Joe Hardy, and they were amateur teenage uh, detectives. And uh, great stories of adventure and, and mystery. Now, one thing I learned from reading uh, those books is that you give always careful attention to any character that appeared in the story, no matter just how briefly or insignificant the role, because that character may unlock some great understanding or insight about the entire plot. So you always had to pay attention. It didn't matter if it was a gardener who just walked in and out of the room. You had to go, okay, I see the gardener. It's possible there's something going on there. (laughs) And so I thought about that when suddenly the writer to the Hebrews has introduced this character who just sort of walked in and walked out of three verses in Genesis chapter 14. And now suddenly, after a thousand year silence, he just entered 14, chapter 14, Genesis, and then poof, he's gone for a thousand years until David is writing Psalm 110 and he's prophesying about the Messiah. And there's that name again. Melchizedek is mentioned and tied to the Messiah. And then another thousand years goes by until the writing of the New Testament, right? And so now the writer to the, New, uh, to the Hebrews is interested in that character, and he's going to try to tell the backsliding Hebrews that something about Melchizedek, that strange and obscure, mysterious character, just comes in and comes out tied to Jesus will help them get over their stumbling block about uh, whether or not Jesus uh, has the authority to be their high priest or their savior or to have the right to actually die uh, for their sins. And so that is the context. So our writer has already um, mentioned Melchizedek three times, but he's been sidetracked with the discussion of uh, the consequences of turning your back on Jesus. So he's mentioned Melchizedek, but he has said nothing more. Then then he starts talking about the conversation, don't turn back, don't turn back, they're they're back, right? And so now here in chapter 7, 
after three mysterious one-time liners that Jesus is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now he's going to take the whole chapter and kind of reveal how Jesus connected to this Melchizedek character will help these Hebrews just want to stick with Jesus. All right, that's the context. Verse one, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, first, his name means king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, which is a short term for Jerusalem. So, king of Jerusalem, meaning king of peace. Now, without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, like the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. So, let's pause there, and if you're taking notes, number one would be something better, something better. The whole theme of 13-chapter book, Hebrews before us, is the word better. Jesus is better. And bottom line, Jesus is better than anything you possibly could ever want. In their case, it's going back to Judaism, and he's going to explain why it's better. But better is mentioned 11 times, and greater is mentioned 13 times. So the theme of the book of Hebrews is Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. He's better. Nothing wrong with the Old Testament prophets or angels or Moses or David. Nothing wrong with Judaism as far as Judaism Judaism was to bring Messiah into the world. But after Messiah has come, Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. And now if you're thinking, well, I don't struggle with going back to Judaism. Well, you do struggle. You struggle going backwards. You struggle with taking your foot off the the accelerator at times because you're just so overwhelmed. And I'm not making fun of you. I'm making fun of all of us uh, because I get that way too. So... uh, The book can be applied to whatever situation you're in because whenever we uh, encounter a conflict of any kind that's rather painful, we just start (laughs) wondering, you know, is it really worth it? So better, something better. And in this case, it's the priesthood. Um, The priesthood really, and I've told you this before, we we don't... talk about priesthood. We're, we're evangelical Protestants. So we don't talk about the priesthood. That's a foreign idea to us. Uh, but it wasn't to them, to the first century Jews. It's, it's central. It was key. It was kind of like everything rested. I have a slide of the, of, well, we visited him before, but I want to visit him again. Judaism starts and stops with this guy. He's the one who represented them, a sinner, before a holy God to broker some sort of reconciliation. Your salvation was hanging in the balance. He's your middleman, you know? And so everything was wrapped up in this guy. He represents sinners before God. He brokers reconciliation. Uh, He's presenting the offering which God will accept or not accept on your behalf. And so uh, as we have mentioned before, this this man really, everything in the Old Testament is really screaming Jesus. 
It's hinting Jesus. It's, it's foretelling Jesus. It's teaching about Jesus. Everything about it. I mean, I, mean, I could do six months uh, studies on how this relates to Jesus, the church, heaven. There's just so much in there, right? But Judaism had a problem. And here's the problem. Um, this, this guy was a sinner, and so how is one sinner going to bail out other sinners? So this man, who you see the nail prints, because he is a type of Jesus, uh, that Christ will be able to go in without an offering for his own sins. And so in that regard, he's better and he's greater because this guy's got his own sins and he's got to atone for his own sins. And one bankrupt sinner isn't going to say, hey, let me uh, bail you out, you know. Yeah, it just doesn't work that way. Uh, this dude gets old. Look at him. Look at all that gray in the beard. <laughs> all that gray in the beard. And I, I do see the, that the aging process is alive and well in my own body. And uh, he's going to die. This priest doesn't die. Because he wasn't, he wasn't born. He existed before he was born a human to take on human flesh. He's always been. He has no beginning of days and no end of days. <laughs> so in that regard, he's better. And, 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 and he doesn't come in with the blood of bull and bulls and goats. Bulls and goats are never going to take away human sins. He's going to come in with, he's the sacrifice. He's the one pierced. And the blood comes from him, the precious blood of God's only son. This guy's power, all he had power to do was point to him. And once he comes and does this work that everything's typified, his job is over. It's obsolete. But the Hebrews are like, okay, we're going to go back to Judaism where they don't persecute us for being Christians. And at least we're going to have Aaron and we'll be safe. No, you won't because this, you need the real deal. When the real deal comes, the one that was pointing the dress rehearsal, it's over. The wedding happened. Amen. Amen? Yeah, oh, I'm trying. I'm trying. And so it's not just really the persecution that was their hang-up, why they wanted to go back. They had an st intellectual stumbling block, these Hebrews, which is going to prompt chapter 7, 8, and 9. And he's answering a question that they had. They said, all well and good about your Jesus and about our Jesus because they've met him. But we're tripped up because we want to go back to Judaism because they have a biblical line of high priest order. Everyone had to descend from Aaron. And we already know that Jesus does not descend from Aaron. He descends from Judah, not Levi, his brother. So he doesn't have biblical authority to be the high priest because God never allowed it. Oh, well. The writer to the Hebrews says, oh, that's why you haven't paid attention to Genesis chapter 14 or to Psalm 110 because God has made an exception when it comes to the right to forgive sins. Jesus Christ doesn't trace his authority or power to forgive your sins through human heredity, but from a higher Amen. power. <laughs> Amen. And so, of course, I don't want to just get ahead of myself, but that, that is really where we're headed. So first of all, we better read those four, three, four verses in Genesis about Melchizedek, just so you can see. Let me give you some 
uh, background. Abram's just returned from rescuing his, his EGR nephew. EGR means extra grace required. <laughs> All right? So <laughs> we use that around here sometimes. And uh, I was explaining it to my wife what it meant. And I said, you know what I mean? And she goes, yeah, I know what you mean. And she was looking at me. Okay. So Lot, I don't know. God gets, God, God gets Lot out of Sodom, right? And where does Lot go? Right back. He goes right back to Sodom. But, and that's a whole other story. Uh, uh, four kings, coalition, come into Sodom, and they, they, they take the region. And they kidnap Lot from Sodom, and they take him away. Lot, Abraham finds out your, your, your nephew is in trouble. He's been captive and taken captive and all the stuff too. So Abraham is a pretty rich guy. He had 318 trained guys who were born in his house. You know, so he takes the 318 along with some others and he goes after like a hero uh, warrior that he is. And he, he recaptures Lot and all the stuff and he's on his way back now. And suddenly, out of nowhere, poof, here it is. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Very interesting. When we're talking about does Jesus have the right to forgive sins? The first thing he's doing is the bread and the wine. Oh, come on. I'm on to this. Okay, he, <laughs> he was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram saying, Abram got a name change right before the blessed event. We went from father, uh, exalted father, to Abraham, uh, father of the multitudes. Uh, Abram saying, blessed be, uh, yeah, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Okay. So really, uh, keep in mind that, first of all, he, the first thing this guy is, is seen doing is offering communion. Come on. Uh, he could have brought out some figs and, and um, water. Okay, but what, what does he bring? On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and broke it and gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this, remember me until I come again. After supper, he took the cup. The cup was filled with the wine. He said, think of this as my blood poured out for you in the new covenant. Drink this, my body broken for you. My blood poured out for you. The basis of your soul security is in what I have done. So it doesn't surprise me that this Melchizedek who's going to unlock the reason why Jesus can forgive sins is breaking bread and pouring out wine. Uh, and by the way, then he blesses him in God's name. And thirdly, he tithes to him. Hmm. It just sounded very familiar to me, you know, because you're really not going to tithe to anybody other than God. You know, so start to think, who is this guy? Okay, back to verses one through three, if you wouldn't mind there, Dave. There you go. 
Let's dig in, all right? So at school, when things got complicated, especially when they would bring out Shakespeare, I was just like, I, I was quite frankly offended by Shakespeare. It's like, if you can't say it so I can understand it without a dictionary, <laughs> then don't bother saying it. That's how I feel. It's just like, come on, do I need to get another book to, to look up what that actually meant? You know, and I just don't have patience for that. And so I'm just going to tell you the answer to the big mystery here. What's he trying to get at? I'm going to tell you. I love Cliff Notes, by the way. I believe there's a new version, um, something now. But, you know, Cliff Notes back in the day uh, were golden. Jesus has authority to forgive sins because as God himself, Jesus Christ being, he's always had that authority because God is pleased to do whatever God wants to do. Amen. It wasn't passed down through some line of men (laughs) to forgive sins. It's okay to be passed down from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and King David because you're identifying with sinners. But if you're going to buy them a free pass into heaven, you better get that right from somebody other than another sinner. That's the point he's trying to make here. And so uh, it wasn't passed down. It's God's prerogative and God's prerogative alone. Here's the cliff notes. Melchizedek in my humble opinion, is Jesus Christ before he came to Bethlehem. Because the the scriptures say, in the beginning was the word. And the word, Christ, was with God. And the word was God. So in John 17, Jesus can say, glorify me, Father, with the glory that we shared before the earth was. Jesus didn't have a start in Bethlehem. Jesus had a start. He didn't have a start. He is the start. He said, I am the beginning and I am the end. And so this is the whole point here. Uh, Melchizedek has to be from time to time Jesus before he went into the human womb and became the son of God that we can see and, and, and hear and touch. He was the angel of the Lord because there are many places in the Old Testament where you cannot say the things that are said to him without it being God himself. And so uh, with that, we are saying, you know, what do we have so far right here? Well, we have, first of all, he's king of righteousness. Excuse me, but Jesus corrected somebody who came to him and said, good teacher, please tell me. And and Jesus says, excuse me. Why are you calling me good? He said, Jesus answered, no one is good except God. What is Jesus saying? You call me God? You figure this thing out? Why are you calling me good? Are you, did you catch on here that I'm not actually, I'm 100% man, but I'm 100% God as well. Why call me good? So we can't call this anybody else. If he's king of good, he's king of good. <laughs> Well, we certainly don't have a human being there, right? Well, I don't think there are two kings of goods. I think there's one king of good. Amen? All right. Number two, he's king and priest. He's king and priest. That's a biblical no-no. Why? Well, remember when Saul tried to offer something and everybody went, you're not allowed to do that. You're just a king. 
You're not a priest. You can't be king and priest. The law forbids it. Uzziah got a little uh, hurried in the temple. And, uh, you know, nobody was, no priest was there. So he said, I'll offer it. And then suddenly the priests are going, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Stop it, Uzziah. And Uzziah (laughs) suddenly felt something on his forehead. And they went, (gasps) leprosy. Yeah, while he's offering the sacrifice, King Uzziah, which he was not allowed to do, leprosy broke out on his forehead, which brought the sacrifice to an immediate stop, which was really good. And Uzziah repented. But nothing like a little outbreak of leprosy to get one's attention. (laughs) Amen. Oh, do we not need those outbreaks, unfortunately? That's why I I just highly suggest an obedient life so that you don't... (laughs) I don't want to give him any opportunity to sit... Right? I don't know. It's just me. Um, No parents, no human ancestry yet. Up to now, there's no, there, there, there's no um, bagats. <laughs> He's eternal. Psalm 90, verse 2, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. What, <laughs> what did Jesus tell the Pharisees? John 8, 58, one of my favorite lines. They're like, Abraham, 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 Abraham's our father. And he goes, oh, speaking of Abraham, <laughs> when I saw him and he saw me, um, yeah... And they go, uh, now we know you've got a demon because you, a mere man, what are you? You're not even 50. And you're saying you know Abraham. He goes, well, to tell you the truth, before Abraham was, I am. Whoa. They picked up rocks. Why? To kill him. Why? Because he, a mere man, made himself equal to God. Well, this, this is Hebrews' point. Folks, don't get tripped up that he's not related to Aaron. Not that the descendant, the descending power doesn't come through descending through men. It's from the one who descended from above. He's the one who forgives our sins. Amen. Now, the thing about this guy that Melchizedek that really hits our writer is the fact that he tithed to Abraham. Now he's going to go on about that for through 10. So he's like, Hebrews, listen to me. Just think how great this Melchizedek guy was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. So Abraham didn't tithe his income to him. He, he caught him with the, with the spoils of war. And of the spoils of war, he gave him a tenth. Now, the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, their brothers, even though their brothers are descendants of Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collects a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. And without doubt, the lesser person is blessed by the greater. This guy's very great. Verse 8, in the one case, the tenth is collected by men who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. Now, one might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. Okay. No panicking allowed. 
We get a little technical here, but I mean, you're, you're with a guided tour, you know, uh, and I'm going to help you here. All right, so we've seen with Christ something better, right? And now with Christ, someone greater, someone greater. Okay, so uh, what's going on here? Um, why don't you put the, um, the genealogy chart on there for me? I need pictures. I really do. Um, Abraham voluntarily gave, try to ignore that right now or take it off just if they're not disciplined enough. All right. They are. Let's trust them. Try to track with me. Abraham voluntarily ties a tenth. Now, the word tithe, if you're new at church, it just means a tenth. And in 400 years from Abraham, God will institute a tithe, but there's no tithe yet, which is what he's going to try to, which blows the writer of the Hebrews' mind, all right? So now you can put the, oh, there it is, though. <laughs> 400 years to Levi, just about, all right? So, so God is going to say through Moses, Moses isn't born yet, Moses is going to, Moses down here, all right? So around this time, the Lord is going to say in places like Leviticus 27, Numbers 18, and Deuteronomy 14, this is how I want ministry to operate. I want the people to take care of the temple and the priesthood. These guys, all these guys are going to be priests, all right? And they're not going to clear the land, and they're not going to tend to their flocks. They're going to tend to me and you are going to tend to them, and that will be through a tithe. Now, now, 10% of agricultural products and livestock. Actually, if you want to be technical about tithing, uh, tithing and giving came to about 23.3%, because there was also tithing for just the temple, just the holidays, the feast days, and just the poor. So, so Israelites gave 23.3%. Just so y'all know. All right. In the New Testament, there are no numbers given, no requirements except that you are a few things prompted in your own mind and spirit by God. Number two, that it's regular and consistent. Number three, that it's generous and sacrificial. And number four, that it's in keeping with your income. That's all that's told. Now, the Pharisees were tithing and, the, and Jesus said to the, this is just a side bunny trail. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you guys really, you guys killing me. You tithe down to your garden seeds, but you're missing the whole point of God's mercy and love. Then he says, these former things you should do. So he gives a shout out that he says, hey, tithing is a cool thing. You know, so most Pastors and Christians say, tithing is the place, a minimal, minimal, minimally, a minimal place where people can get started giving. And then listen to the Holy Spirit uh, based on your seasons and flows of life. But you know what? God's way more interested in what's in here than what's in your back pocket or in your purse. All right. Whatever. So uh, here's his point. Here's his point. He's going, how great was this guy that... These guys are supposed to get the tithe, right? But these guys are tithing to him. 
through their, they're unborn, but they're in Abraham because they're genetically and biologically kind of loaded in his body. And in a, in a sense, when Abraham is tithing, he, the whole priesthood is tithing. So he say, wow, that's incredible. The, these guys have, are only the ones who have the right to, to receive tithes, but the receiver of the tithe is going, wow, this is important, so we're going to tithe to him. So that's a big deal to him. Let's move on. Now, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical, come on, I need it. It's bigger than my own text. Verses 11, do you have it? No. Thank you. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, for on the basis of it, the law was given to the people. Why was there still a need for another priest to come in the order of Melchizedek? Because David prophesied this, not in the order. If everything was good with Aaron's line, why do we need another order, right? For when there is a change in the priesthood, there also must be a change of the law. He of whom these things are said to belong to a different tribe, Jesus belongs to Judah, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah, and in, in regard, uh, said Moses said nothing about priests from Judah. And what we have said is even more clear. If another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of his pow, indestructible life. We don't need to be related. And, he, and, the, and the Bible warned us that a, a different kind of priest was coming. Uh, and here it is. Here's where he warned us. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, which is Psalm 110. So he's saying, once that happened, is there more? Okay, good. Once that happens, then um, once David says, okay, to the Messiah, he is a priest, and he's going to not be in the order of Aaron He is going to be in the order of Melchizedek. Then he's saying to the the Hebrews, read Psalm 110 and and do away with your stumbling block. And it's important to do away with stumbling blocks when somebody has, but what about creation and evolution? Or what about X, Y, and Z? When somebody has an intellectual stumbling block, it's pretty important to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And these people need to be dealt with. So he says, the answer's in your Bible. The answer is in Psalm 110. Why would David prophesy about the Messiah? Hey, I swear forever, God speaking, the Father, that you, the Son, are a priest forever in a new order. This order that's related to this God being Melchizedek, right? That should clear it up, really. I mean, that's the answer right there. So he says, really, a Messiah is coming whose saving power isn't derived from the law of heredity, but on the power of his indestructible life. I, I really like this. He's a priest forever. So thank you for that. You can take it down. Matthew 27 and verse 1. Early in the morning, all the chief priests 
Some of them are related to Aaron, are standing by the high priest according to Melchizedek. So they're all in a room. We got Aaron's boys who just, just can take out their genealogy and show you, look where I come from. And we got Jesus who's connected to this Melchizedek who has no genealogy because he came down from heaven. Amen. So he's in the same room and he says, the thing that's better about the second high priest is his indestructible life. Now check this out. They gathered together, Matthew 27, verse 1. They've come to, to the decision to put Jesus to death. Well, good luck with that. He didn't have a beginning. How do you kill somebody who didn't have a beginning and doesn't have an end? It's just impossible. And so what happens? <laughs> Jesus, by the power of his indestructible life, proves in three days after they kill him that it's impossible to kill him because he is God. Amen. And he rises again. And he is able to forgive sins because of his indestructible life. And that ought to make everybody who's depending and hoping that Jesus is going to get you through this nightmare and into heaven. That ought to bring you some comfort to know he's indestructible. And he's bent on getting you to heaven. And he said, this is my father's will that I not lose one that he's given me. I'm indestructible. Uh, I just, I get happy just thinking about this. Okay, Matthew um, 22 there. Uh, Jesus is going to use Psalm 110 again. Let me just sum it up to you. Just really, I think I have it too for you. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus, this is like a few days before the crucifixion. Jesus asks them about the psalm that has in it, uh, you are a priest forever, according to Melchizedek. But there's another part of that, that, that psalm, that Jesus calls out to the Pharisees to silence them forever. He says, um, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Uh, they called him the son of David because 28 generations from David, you have Mary giving birth to, to David's son, removed 28 times. Great, 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 28 greats from David, you've got Jesus. So the Jews are all walking around saying, we're waiting for the son of David. They don't need the great, 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 great. He's the son of David. He's related to David. So, so who is this fellow, Christ? They say he's the son of David. So Jesus quotes Psalm 10, verse 1, and he says, How is it then David, speaking by the Spirit, calls him Lord? For he says, The Lord said to my Lord, God said to my God, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then, Jesus asking them, if David is calling him God, how can he be his son? Well, the answer to that is because the Messiah is very God, a very God. There, are, there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And those three are one. It, baptizing them in the name, not names, 
in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the answer to Jesus' gotcha question is because Jesus is God. And the the answer to the Hebrews are saying, what's up? He's not related to Aaron or the Levites. Yeah, you know why? Because he's God who spoke and the universe left into existence. He has the right to say thumbs up or thumbs down, not because he's born and connected to Aaron, but because he wasn't born and he never dies and he created the earth. And he's decided, I'm going to forgive you if you put your trust in me and the sacrifice that I've delivered. Amen? Amen. Let's finish up. Plow through from 23 on. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. Right? (laughs) Yeah, they just, you know, they hang around for a few years and then poof. Uh, But Jesus, he lives forever. He's permanent. Therefore, he's able, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, therefore, he's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to what? He's always living with a purpose to intercede for them. Such a high priest meets our need. One who's holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens, Unlike the other guys, he doesn't need to offer sacrifices day after day after day for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. You know, that is God. God offered himself on a Roman cross. Yikes. For the law appoints his high priest men who are weak. But the oath which came after the law pointed the oath, David, David's pointing in Psalm uh, 110, appointed the son who has been made complete, perfect forever. You don't make God perfect, but God became the perfect uh, sin sacrifice by submitting himself and going through the garden and saying, hey, Father God, if there's any other way, you know, find that way. But if not, I'll do it. So he, 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 by yielding himself, he becomes the complete package of an offering there of sin. And so, um, so the Holy Spirit really gives us, uh, if you want point four, but most of you like taking notes. Uh, in Jesus, we have uh, something. Okay, the first one was, in Jesus, we have something better. It's direct access to God. Number two was, we have someone greater, the Lord himself. (laughs) Do you remember when Jesus is in Matthew 12? He's talking about the Queen of Sheba. He said, you know, the Queen of Sheba came up here, and she wanted to see Solomon. And she came, and she heard Solomon's wisdom, and boy, she was affected. But someone greater than Solomon's here. And then he said, hey, uh, let me t- tell you about Jonah. Jonah went to Nineveh. He preached to them. They repented. God, had, God relented. Someone greater than Jonah's here. And then he said, and look at this temple. And they're talking about the temple. And he says, and by the way, 
something greater than the temple is standing here. So three times he says the same thing the writer to the Hebrews is saying. Get your eyes off this thing and on the greater thing. He's greater. So we saw, number one, something better, direct access to God. Number two was something greater, that, that, that Jesus is Lord. And then uh, something finally accomplished. He finally accomplished. Now finally something eternal, our assurance. Let's just look at this. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him because he's always lives to intercede for them. He wasn't done when on the cross he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He didn't say, okay, my work reconciling them is over. It kind of is like in Luke 22 where uh, everybody's saying, oh, I'll never betray you. I'm going to be with you forever. You can depend on me. And the Lord looks right into Peter's eyes and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked permission to sift you like wheat. Now, that's an odd analogy for us. That means you're just to, to shake you upside down and inside out to find out what's in you, to expose your weakness. He wants you. He's gunning for you. I know this. But don't worry. I'm praying for you that your faith will hold out. That's called intercedency. That's what Jesus does today. He always lives thinking and having a watchful eye on his people who are all EGRs, all right? We're all extra grace required, folks, okay? And what is he doing? He's watching. He knows when the devil sets you up for your finest, most terrible moment. He knows when you're discouraged and you're crying and you're living quiet desperation. Nobody else knows. He's aware and praying and sending you the help because he always lives. What does that mean, 24-7? That means when I'm on the mountaintop and I think everything's cool, but you don't even know. You think the worst times can be in a victory or when money's in the bank and the Lord's like, I'm interceding that that doesn't destroy you. And when there's no money in the bank, and there's trouble. People are talking about you. Your feelings are hurt. You're getting tempted to just kind of go a different direction. Call your lawyer about your marriage. Somebody who never can be killed, who never dies, who's never off the job, who never needs to sleep or slumber. Somebody's thinking about you right now and saying, okay, steady as we go. Whoa, watch out for that. Look out for this. He's engaged at defending and watching over you right now. That's his job. That's what he does. I always live. For one thing, I live, I'm always living to watch out for you. Oh, I love that verse. I want to talk more about it. <laughs> just, just exactly what we need. Well, let me close with um, really a story that really 
the writer to the Hebrews could have used um, to make his point about Jesus and his right to forgive them. Math, uh, Mark, rather, chapter 2. Yeah, thank you for the verses up there. You can go blank. Uh, Jesus was healing and teaching the word of God, and he went at somebody's home, and he's so popular. They're in Capernaum, and nobody uh, wanted to miss out, so there was no room left. So the house was completely full, and, and uh, approach to the house was full. And you know the story. Four men had a friend. They all had faith because the guy ends up uh, receiving from the Lord. And they get up, and they, they, they can't get in through the crowd, and so they find a way into the house, the backside, and they go up the steps, and they go to the roof, and they start digging up the roof. And I could see Jesus looking up, and the little shards are coming down and gravel and dirt, and he's probably smiling. you know. So they, they take off the tiles, and they lower with four ropes their paralyzed friend in front of the seated Lord of glory. And Jesus says, wow, pretty intrigued. And he looks down and he says, son, son, your, your sins are forgiven you. Pharisee A to Pharisee B. They're both thinking. It says they're thinking these thoughts. They're thinking, blasphemy, how dare you? Who can forgive sins but God? The point of Hebrews. Who can do it but God? Not this man, this carpenter, this guy, Jesus. Oh, dig a little deep and you find out who this carpenter really is. So Jesus says, I know what you're thinking and that's too bad you're so upset and stumbled. He says, which is easier? Which would it be easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven. Or get up, pick up that stretcher, and walk on out of here. Which is easier? Well, the answer, it's way easier to just say, I forgive your sins. Nobody would ever know, right? Nobody knows. But he says, just so you know that I have the authority to look at somebody and say, son, my son, God's son, your sins that have been committed against me, God, are forgiven because you have faith in me. Just so you know that I can say that, now I'll say the harder thing. And by the way, get up and get out <laughs> in a nice way. <laughs> and it says, I love this. In full view of them all, <laughs> he stands up, picks up his stretcher, puts it on his shoulder, and walks out with an attitude. <laughs> he walks out there just whistling some, humming some beautiful thing. I have the power the authority and the will to forgive your sins. And you know why? Because I'm God and I created the only way for that to happen by laying my own life down pure 
without sin, I have something to offer. And so how fitting that we find ourselves at Communion Sunday. Time after time, you know, somebody would say to me who didn't, didn't agree with going verse by verse through the Bible, they told me it would be restrictive, right? I, I think it's just the opposite. It's very freeing. I mean, where uh, you heard things you have not heard for 20 years, 30 years being a Christian because pastors skip over chapter 7 because it's too difficult on a Sunday morning. But not in Calvary Chapels. You're going to hear it, and you're going to learn. Most of the, I have never heard a sermon on Melchizedek in my entire life in 35 years. There's a reason for that. It's difficult. But what does it, it bring you? Well, back to my friends who said it's restrictive. How restrictive is this? How, how do you end on a, a passage that is geared for communion on, without trying? When, when your schedule is interrupted by three weeks going to India and all of that, the Holy Spirit just is a multitasker. That's all I can say. <laughs> so this morning we're going to close in a terrific way of God saying, the Lord is God. It's his right to forgive those who come to God through him because he's the one who laid down his life. He's got the scars. He knows the story. <laughs> and he says, it's okay. You come to me, your sins are forgiven. Let's pray together. Now, Heavenly Father, we, we don't want to take the fact that our sins are forgiven uh, for granted. We, every morning we wake up, it's a, it's a wonder to know we've got eternal life. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ. We thank you for your broken body and your precious blood that keeps us from sinning, that, why, that should keep us from sinning and inspire us, God, not to lay more uh, upon your shoulders to have to die for uh, in the past. Father, to motivate us to live for you in obedience and that of a responsive love. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org or find us on Facebook. These podcasts are also available in video format on our Calvary Chapel The Rock YouTube page.